You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Have you ever asked your question, asked the question, why do we do this? I mean, it's the weekend, right? Sunday morning. Most of you worked all week, maybe 40 hours, maybe more than that. Get a couple of days off, maybe one, maybe two. You're going to use the day off to get up in time to be somewhere at 8.30. 8.35 maybe. Have you ever stopped to think, like, what am I thinking? I could be asleep. I could be resting. It's the weekend. It's my day off. I mean, like, what is it? that motivates us and drives us to get up early and get dressed and wrestle with the kids and find the shoes and all the things and get to church. I mean, if you think about it, from one perspective, it seems a little nuts. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather? Why do we listen to some guy or gal read from a text that was written 2,000 years ago in a different language and then go on about it for half an hour or more? Why do we do what we do? Well, when we bring those questions to the Scriptures, particularly to 2 Timothy Some things begin to come to the surface and some things begin to come clear, don't they? We begin to see that God uses the Scriptures and uses the Scriptures in the context of the church, right? Not just me solo reading the Bible. That's crucial. That's important. I commend it. We'll talk about that. But the church actually reading the Bible together in a community to hear from God together. Like, what's that about Why are we doing it? And the thing that begins to come to the surface as we look at these texts, and we're going to dig in quite deeply to this, is that the centrality of the Scriptures, that the attendance to the Scriptures, that our giving ourselves to the Scriptures is crucial for the health of the body of Christ. If we don't do it, we won't be healthy. We won't be a healthy church, and we won't be healthy individual followers. We're going to see, as Paul gives this pastoral advice, wisdom, counsel, instruction to Timothy, that for him and for us, the health of the church depends on the preaching of the Word. He's just going to sum it up, one sentence, the health of the church always depends on the faithful preaching of the Word. Week in, week out, year after year after year for the long haul. Now, to put that in context, we need to understand that 2 Timothy is a different kind of letter. Uh, We've worked through several of Paul's letters together over the last couple of years, but in each instance, those were letters written to communities, to churches. And so the idea would be, uh, Paul writes a letter and somebody carries it to Thessalonica or Philippi or somewhere, and then maybe somebody who's in leadership, one of the pastors or somebody reads that letter to the church gathered. And it can be really encouraging. It could be kind of 
corrective. Occasionally Paul names names and you think, wow, he's got some courage. But this one's different, isn't it? Second Timothy isn't written to a congregation. It's written to one person. And it's not written to someone Paul hasn't met. It's written to someone that he is in a deep relationship with. At the beginning of these letters, he calls Timothy his beloved child. So the image of, the, the idea, the setting for this letter is you've got Paul, right, uh, who is nearing the end of his ministry, who is, he says at the end of this letter, has largely been abandoned by his friends. Very few people have stuck with him. He's in prison, doesn't know what the outcome of that's going to be, but he's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, with instructions about how to conduct himself and how to lead the church. I'll say that one more time. He's writing to Timothy at the end of his life with this kind of collected wisdom inspired by God with a set of instructions for how to conduct himself and how to lead the church. And in that context, we get this striking statement about the role and function of Scripture in the life of the church and the centrality of the proclamation of Scripture in pastoral ministry. So Paul is instructing Timothy about how to handle the Scriptures, the Bible, in the context of the local church as a pastor. And so we can begin to see what Paul's vision of faithful preaching ministry looks like and we can begin to discern like, what kind of scriptural parameters we get for how the ministry of the Word takes its place in the life of the church and how crucial that is for healthy churches. So Paul writes to Timothy, an older missionary church planter, pastor to a younger pastor and says these are the kinds of things you need to do. And the first thing in this passage that we've read together that he tells Timothy is continue, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation. So the first exhortation in this passage is for Timothy to be a continual student of Scripture himself. And when you put that in the context of a, of a letter written to say, like, here's what your pastoral ministry needs to look like, Timothy. Step number one, one of the first things you have to attend to is you have to be a student of Scripture. And that helps us to see that for Paul, faithful preachers are continual students of the Bible. Like, you don't get to just kind of Go to seminary and then get your degree and then kind of check out and never read a book again. A lot of folks do that. It's not healthy. For Paul, it is absolutely crucial that pastors are students before they are teachers. Absolutely crucial that preachers give themselves as students, not for a period of time, but continually throughout their life in ministry. Timothy is reminded to remember his training. Remember how your mother and your grandmother, we're told about them earlier in the letter, 
instructed you and immersed you in the Scriptures, and he clearly has in mind the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the, the Jewish Scriptures. But very early on in the New Testament, in Second Peter, even the writings of Paul are being called Scripture. And so that's, you know, we've got this kind of big category. So Timothy is instructed to remember where he's been and how he's been. Like, think about your childhood and give thanks to God for faithful parents and grandparents who made sure that you were immersed in the Scriptures and, and, and trained in God's Word so that you know when life is, whatever the circumstances are, that you know what God has to say and how it applies to your life. That's Timothy's training. And Paul wants Timothy to stay engaged in that and not to coast. Because it's very tempting sometimes to coast, right? Continue, as a student of Scripture, don't coast. Like, don't just kind of depend on sermons you wrote a couple of years ago and recycle them. Like, don't just kind of say, well, I read that back in seminary, but I haven't thought about it in 10 or 15 or 20 years. For Paul, there's this continual study, which means that pastors charged with the preaching of God's Word must devote significant time to the study of Scripture. Absolutely crucial. Like you can't take five minutes and give yourself to Scripture for a few minutes and jotting down some notes on the back of a napkin and think you're going to give the church something worth hearing on Sunday morning. It's fundamental that faithful pastors devote significant time over a long period of time to the study of the Scriptures. Paul modeled this, didn't he? If you read on, we didn't go all the way to the end of verse 4, but if you read on uh, to verse 9, 10, 11, 12, Paul says, do your best to come to me soon. Uh, then he tells about a few folks who've abandoned him, this guy named Demas uh, and some other folks. Only Luke is left, we're told, get Mark and bring him along, for he's useful in my ministry. And then he says this, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. This is like, you just get a little insight into Paul's thinking here, verse 12. And then he says this, also bring the books and above all the parchments. All right, so when Paul is in prison and he's waiting for Timothy to come visit him, he's like, whatever you do, don't forget the books. Like, if there's ever a time in your life when you can coast, it's when you're locked up and you'll probably never get out. Like, he's not planting more churches, is he? He is confined. He's not going anywhere. But even still, he, is, he, he has this lifelong pattern from childhood to adult, late adulthood. Paul is a student. He always wants to learn. I, I love this. Those of you who've ever been on a committee with me know that I love this. I know that it's a joke. If you're on a committee with Matt, just get ready for a Like, bring the books is our motto, isn't it? But it's biblical. It's in the Bible right there. Your memory verse next week should be 2 Timothy 4, 13. Bring the books and above all, the parchments. It's biblical. So Paul models this, right? This is his life. This is who he is. He is a student of the Word of God. He is committed to study. He never gives up on this. And he tells Timothy, 
you've got to do that too. You've got to continue. You've got to cultivate habits. You've got to cultivate patterns. You have to read widely. You have to reflect on what God is up to and what God wants he wants to do because faithful preachers must be students of Scripture and the health of the church depends on that. You cannot be a teacher of the Word without being a student of the Word. And there's some humility in that, friends. I mean, there really is. My father-in-law was one of the first ones that pointed this out to me. He, uh, he made the comment, I heard him say years and years ago, he said a lot of preachers, you know, don't spend a lot of time reading commentaries and things. And uh, he thought that was a pretty arrogant approach. Because there's a lot of wisdom out there. <laughs> 2,000 years worth of it. And if we don't avail ourselves of what the church throughout history has said wisely about the Word of God, then there's some, we need to cultivate some humility to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. I need to pay attention to what people who have loved Jesus have said about this text. And I need to pay attention about people in different circumstances in different places in the world have said about the Scriptures and how it's been applied and how that's relevant. And maybe they're asking questions that I've not learned to ask yet. And maybe by looking into that, they're going to open up my eyes and the Lord in His wisdom and His kindness and in His grace will help me see more clearly how this speaks to His people. There's some humility in that. I remember one time when I was in seminary, I was at a coffee shop. Remember the days when you could go to coffee shops? with uh, one of my professors, and I was writing a paper for him on rhetorical criticism of the New Testament. If you don't know what that is, don't sweat it. There's a book if you want to know. And I was frustrated. We're sitting there, we've got our sandwiches and our coffee, and I was frustrated because I was kind of accustomed just like to, to like, you know, we can sit down, we can read it, we can kind of figure out what's going on here, but this was some new work for me and some new questions, and I was really struggling to understand it. And here's this guy who was probably in his 60s at the time, and he looks at me, and I'm, you know, a grad student. He looks at me and says, Matt, relax. Men and women spend their lives trying to understand this book. Don't think you're going to figure it out over lunch. And that is state, that, one of the most important lessons I learned in seminary was not in the classroom, it was in that coffee shop. None of us, not even the most trained, most widely read scholars of the Bible have this book figured out. Because the wisdom of God is deeper than our wisdom and the brilliance of God is wider than any of our intuition and there is more depth and more glory and more beauty and more grace than we can even begin to encounter in a lifetime of study. So I'm looking forward to the things I learn about Jesus when I'm 60 or 80. There's another uh, another professor well, I'll tell you, you guys, you guys, many of you know who Billy Coppage is. He's been here, he's a missionary and his family in Africa, and Billy's grandfather, a guy named Dennis Kinlaw, some of you have read his books in Bible study, and another time I was in seminary and we were told to go and uh, have class at Dr. Kinlaw's house, uh, and We'd read one of his books, and we had learned that he wrote this book in his 80s because there was an area of 
study that he needed to brush up on. Early church, he just wasn't quite as clear. He's 80-something years old, and he's going, you know, here's something I haven't learned yet. I'm going to brush up on it. I'm going to study it and try to help the church somewhat. And, we, and, that, and, and, and Dr. Kinlaw was held out to us as this model of, here's a guy, like, he's not coasting. He can't walk, but he's not coasting. He is studying and he is reading and he loves Jesus and he wants to know the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper and he will never stop. And I commend that to you, friends. That's the kind of person I want to be and it's the kind of person the people of God ought to be. That doesn't mean you have to be an Old Testament scholar. It doesn't mean you have to be able to read Hebrew. It just means, am I organizing my life around a deep desire to be a student of Scripture? At whatever level that happens... And there are a lot of levels. And that's great. So that's crucial. But there's some humility in there, isn't it? We want to be students. We, want to assume, we don't want to assume that we have all the answers. We don't want to assume that we know everything there is to know about a text of Scripture. There's always more that the Lord wants to make known about Himself in every word of Scripture. It's crucial to be a student of Scripture, both for preachers and for the church, because the Scriptures are a means of grace as well. Paul tells Timothy, continue in what you've studied and learned, what you've been immersed in from childhood. Continue as a student in the sacred writings, the Scriptures, that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus. One of the reasons we do what we do even early in the morning on the weekend, is because God's word to us is unique among every book. There is no other book in the world that can instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus. I've read a lot of them. This is the only one. You've read some others. You're here because you've learned this is the only one. We give ourselves to God's revelation of Himself in Scripture because He uses it as a means of grace to rescue us. He uses it to draw us to Himself. Like Before we meet Jesus for the first time, and maybe you can go back and look at your life, and you can say, you know, I remember when I really met Jesus and things really came to life, but, but there was a period of time before that, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I remember how, you know, there was, you know, maybe it was my mother, or maybe it was my Sunday school teacher, or maybe it was, was somebody at school, or maybe it was somebody at work, or maybe it was somebody who was there for me when my life was coming apart, and they spoke life into my life, and they reminded me of the Lord's love, and, that, that, and, and, and they shared scripture with me and that brought me deeper like I didn't know Jesus yet but I could feel him drawing me to himself and pulling me into his life into this place of, 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 of knowing him and knowing his perfect love right? the scriptures are an instrument of God's grace to bring us into his life before we meet him at the moment we meet Him, and for the rest of our lives, as He deals with things that need to be dealt with so that we can increasingly embody His character. Like that's the, the Bible is crucial at every stage of spiritual development. Being drawn to Jesus, meeting Him for the first time, and growing deeper in Him. Absolutely crucial. 
And how many times, though, do we, do we get excited about the Lord and we, we're, you know, we've, we've come to know Him and, and we, we, we get involved in a church and maybe we get involved in a small group or Sunday school and we're really eating it up and we're, we're enjoying, we're learning a lot about the Bible, but then things get kind of busy and maybe there's a crisis or maybe my job wants some overtime and I don't have time to read the Bible today and I, maybe, you know, I got to work on Sunday and things just kind of get... Yeah, I get distracted and, and, and I'm, the, the fire and the energy isn't there anymore. And friends, like we cannot walk away from the means of grace that God has given us in His love and in His grace to reproduce His life in us. This is why, friends, that every sermon you will ever hear in this building as long as I'm the pastor is going to be an exposition of a biblical text. We may talk about the news sometimes, but the news doesn't drive the preaching. We read a lot of books, but the books don't drive the preaching. One book drives the preaching. The book that is able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself, the one whose hands were pierced, whose face was scarred, whose back was beaten, who gave his life in love for us. Trust him and attend to his word. If you want to know what his character is like, if you want to know what his will is, there is one place to get it. And we will put that at the center of our fellowship as long as I have anything to say about it. So that when new faces walk through the door, they are encountered with the grace of God in the words of Scripture. So that when those of us who've been around for a while walk in the door, we are encountered with the grace of God that reproduces the life of Christ in us. If you want a healthy church, that has to be the priority. So we gather, counterintuitively for some, to read an old book written in a different language. Because for some reason, God in his wisdom decided to use it to give us life. And let me say this, friends. If I didn't believe that with all my heart, I would get a different job and sleep in on Sundays. I don't get up at 5 o'clock on Sunday mornings because I don't believe that what we have here is the gift of God for life. I don't stay up on Saturday night going over the outline. Is that clear? Is the transition work? Is, it, is the bottom line as best as it can be? Is it, is it like... Is there anything keeping us from understanding what God has for us? I don't do that because I think it's unimportant. If I didn't believe the words that I'm speaking to you today, I would get a different job and do something else. But the words we have are the words of life. I'm reminded of Peter in John 6. Jesus is teaching and some people think it's kind of a tough sermon and so they, they don't come back for another visit. 
And the disciples are thinking, man, this is really bad PR. What's going on? They're leaving. They were going to be good donors. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter, like lead disciple Peter, and says, there's the door, dude. You can go too. And Peter looks back at him and says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Jesus alone has the words of life. And he has given us the scriptures as a gift of his love. And it is a trustworthy gift. We are told that it is inspired by God. There have been a lot of debates over what that means. You'll be glad to know we're not getting into them today. Here's the thing that we need to take away from this phrase in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. Is God's character trustworthy? Does he ever lie to us? Or is he always true? If God is true, his word can be trusted. If his character is unchanging, his word can be trusted. And his character, friends, is revealed in Jesus. And Jesus died for us. He suffered for us. And you've heard me say this before, you will hear it again, you can trust somebody who will bleed for you. You can trust somebody who will bleed for you. All the debates about inspiration aside, you can trust someone who will suffer for you. If it comes from God, if he has breathed it forth, you can trust him. And again, if I didn't believe that, I would not be here right now. I don't always understand it. There's a lot of things in this book that I puzzle over often. There's a lot of things that I don't understand, but I don't have to understand it for it to be true. And you don't have to understand it to trust it. There are things in this book I'd rather not have been there. <laughs> there are things I find difficult to explain. And people call me up and they go, what's that all about? And I have to say, I don't know. Thinking about it, I'll keep thinking about it. There's probably a book we can read together on it. But there are things here I don't understand. It doesn't mean it doesn't give life. And it doesn't mean it's not trustworthy. And together, we give ourselves for the long haul, by the grace of God, to doing the best we can to understanding what he has to say to us. And has it ever occurred to you that the fact that God speaks to us is an expression of his love? I mean, think about it, right? You're in a conversation with somebody and they address themselves to you. 
especially if it's a prominent somebody, they address themselves to you. You feel very dignified. You feel like, like you've been affirmed as a person when somebody makes eye contact with you and engages you and cares enough about you to address themselves to you. Friends, we have in this book the supreme, glorious creator, king of kings, Lord, of the one who speaks and brings everything into existence, the one who every moment by the sheer joy of his will upholds and sustains all things, loves you enough to speak to you, to make eye contact with you so that you can know him and know life in him. So scripture is inspired by God that means it's trustworthy, and that means it's useful. What is it useful for? It's useful for teaching. That's what we're doing, isn't it? It's also useful for the unpleasant tasks of reproof and correction. Some of those things I wish weren't there, but there they are. Nonetheless, I don't have to like it to trust it. God uses his word to correct his people, doesn't he? He uses his word to train us in righteousness. We focus about training in lots of things, don't we? We'll get trained in sales. We'll get trained in public relations. We'll get trained on the farm. We'll train our kids. We'll get a certification so that we can get a promotion. How often do we think, of all the training I've got in my life, have I attended to training in righteousness? in the character that God desires to form in his people. You know where you get that training? One book. Read together with the people of God. The health of the church and the extent to which we embody the character that God has for us. His character depends on the preaching and attendance to the word of God. Without it, we are lost. And that means faithful preachers must be persistent, doesn't it? That's why Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2, I solemnly urge you. Like when was the last time someone said, I solemnly urge you? That's a, there's, there's a lot of gravity there. It's, it's a, the tone is not flippant. It's not just, hey, if you have some time, you know, here's something you might consider. I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, the gospel, the text, the scriptures, the life-giving word of God that you have had since childhood, that you've been formed in, that you continue in. Proclaim it. You're going to be a preacher? Preach. Proclaim the message. It's crucial. It's solemn. It's holy. It's essential. Be persistent whenever the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, encourage with utmost patience. Easy to lose patience sometimes, isn't it? Nevertheless, when Paul talks about the life of, talks about the Word of God in the life of the church under the leadership of the pastor, the words are persistence and patience, friends. Persistence and patience. That's one of the reasons 
most of our preaching is marked by working our way through verse by verse an entire book of the Bible. Last year, we spent most of the year in Mark, if you remember. Uh, before that, we spent time in First Thessalonians. The first book we read all the way through together, anybody remember what it was? I don't expect you to, but I'd be really impressed if you do. Philippians. There's great value, friends, in a community of believers taking a book of the Bible and reading the entire thing together over an extended period of time. Now, it's not gimmicky, is it? It's not a responsive necessarily to the last thing that came up in the news. But we can trust that if we commit ourselves to the week in, week out, reading and teaching of the scriptures, that God will be at work. And the Spirit of God will do what he's got to do to apply that to our lives. And I have found in my experience that it tends to be rather <laughs> appropriate for whatever's come along. I meet a lot of my colleagues, and this is not a criticism, but a lot of times if something happens in you know, the news or there's a major event, it's like, well, I just finished my sermon, now I've got to rewrite it for this thing that just happened. I can count on one hand the number of times in the last 15 years I've changed my text based on current events. And again, it's not a criticism. It is an expression of trust in the Word of God that He is providentially anticipating what will come and what we'll be reading. And that all we have to do is think about whatever He has to say to us this week in light of whatever's happening, and He will do what He needs to do. Because he's trustworthy. And trustworthy words are useful for teaching and reproof and correction and instruction and training. We give ourselves to the authority of Jesus mediated through scriptures. He will work life in us. Paul expects Timothy as a pastor to maintain these small steps in the same direction regardless of the season. So different seasons come along, don't they? Different periods in history, some more favorable than others. We've been in an unfavorable one for nearly a year now. We still keep coming back to the text week after week together. Now, different churches want different things in their preachers. I heard this observation made earlier, well, last year now, I'll have to say, several months ago, and I thought, man, that is so, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. And the observation went like this, you know, some churches want a life coach. Right? So you can hop on TV or hop on the internet, and you can find a preacher with three steps for raising your kids, and I don't want to be overly critical because we need to spend time as a church thinking about our lives in light of the scripture, but if it's just like life coach, like seven steps to success or seven steps to whatever your best experience of whatever it may be is, right? none of us are called to be life coaches primarily. The pulpit is not 
primarily about life coaching. Probably do a little life coaching from time to time, but that's not the first thing it's about. Some churches want a culture warrior. Whatever the issue is, fight for what's right. It's not the primary thing. We may do it sometimes. We'll talk about issues in culture, but they don't drive the preaching agenda the Scripture does. They don't drive the preacher's identity the Bible does. Other churches want a social justice warrior. I got some friends who pastor churches that want a social justice warrior. Well, you may speak up for justice sometimes. Undoubtedly, we will. And I have. But it's not the primary identity, is it? Other churches want a chaplain in a pastor. And again, every preacher will serve in the kind of things that we would call chaplain, like being there for a funeral, ministering in the counseling kind of setting. Do those kinds of jobs. I do those, wear those kinds of hats. But the primary thing, all the way across the board, whatever those other identities involve, the primary thing, number one, is your pastor better be a preacher first and foremost. Because the preached word is the way Jesus rescues the world. So being a preacher involves a lot of things. Advocating here and caring in different capacities there. But the ministry of the word is the heart of the preacher's identity for the health of the church. Together, every week, this is what we give ourselves to. To honor God, to express our trust in Him. Like when we come to the Word to hear, it's an expression of faith, isn't it? Like the thing that we do with our body by getting up and showing up is saying, you know what, I trust you, Jesus, to use your word as a means of grace in my life. So I'm going to show up. And the invitation, then, is at the beginning of this new year, let's together, corporately and individually, recommit ourselves to be a people of one book. Let's resolve together, by God's grace, not in our own strength, but by His grace, that we will trust Him enough to attend to His Word, to what He has said, both as a fellowship, we're going to attend to the Word together, and as individual disciples. Will you recommit yourself to listening, to 
to the word that God speaks to us, his people, in this new year. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.